Hi, my name is Priscilla and I'm getting baptized today. I was born and raised in the church and I went to church up until I was 16 years old. I always believed in God but never had a real relationship with Him. I started coming to Prodigal about three years ago and I always felt instant love and kindness from everyone. I was with my ex-husband for 19 years and found myself lost more than ever after my divorce and trying to figure out who I was as an individual. I made some bad choices and knew I needed to change my ways. There's a Christian song that says, my deepest pain I wouldn't change for anything because my brokenness brought me to you. And those wounds are a story you'll use, so I'm thankful for the scars. My parents are no longer living with us, but before my dad had passed, he had written a letter that he wrote years before he was sick, and he had my oldest brother read it at his funeral. And one of his dying wishes was that all his children would come to know God and have a relationship with Him. I know my parents are looking down from heaven today and smiling. My name is Priscilla, and I'm Christ for Life. My name is Luna and I'm getting baptized today. I know that Jesus loves me and he made me perfect just the way I am. And I would like to be loving just like him. And I would like everyone to know that I would like to follow him. So that's why I'm getting baptized today. My name is Luna and I'm Christ for Life. Let's do this. My name is Sarah and I'm getting baptized today. When I was a little girl, my family went to church and I loved it and I gave my life to Jesus then. But as I grew and I became an adult and life started happening to me, I fell away from that and I lost trust with the church and I lost trust with God. And as the years went on, I started enduring more trauma and abuse and my life just kind of became unbearable. The trauma that I went through made it that I really wanted to have a lot of control of my life. I didn't want to let go of control. However, the more I was in control of my life, I noticed the worse it was getting. Eventually, a friend of mine who loves me asked me and questioned my religion and my relationship with God and my spirituality. No one had ever questioned me in that way before and it led me to you know sit and ask myself how did I get here and what's happened to my life and who do I trust in now. I realized that me trusting in myself it wasn't helping and trusting in someone else isn't the answer either that I needed to trust in Jesus again. 
So when my friend questioned my belief system, I was kind of determined to prove to him how I was right. And I did a little bit of research and I was sitting on bed with my computer all with my links excited to show him. And I, I actually just felt this wave of love and emotion come over me and I can only describe it as like Jesus being there like, hi, where have you been? And I couldn't prove him wrong. I only could prove myself wrong. And I called him saying, you're right. I was just afraid. I was afraid to trust in something that I couldn't see. And in that moment, I just felt a lot of clarity. I felt lighter, I felt joy, and I felt excited. Even though I had turned my back on Jesus, he was with me that whole time, through the trauma, through the abuse. And I can see that now. I never want to be without Jesus again. And I'm very happy to be at Prodigal Church because as a single mom, it can be hard sometimes to go to new churches. But I felt very received here. And I'm very happy to be baptized today. <laughs> My name is Sarah and I'm Christ for Life. We are calling this sermon series The Lost Art of Friendship because there are things that generations before us knew about friendship that we seem to have lost in our current culture. A quick Google search of how to make friends and you will find dozens of WikiHow pages. If you don't know what WikiHow pages are, they're step-by-step -step on how to do things and they even come with illustrations. How to make friends. How to make friends quickly how to make friends when you're an adult, how to make friends when you're not social, how to win friends, get friends, have friends. It is clear that many of us have struggles in making friends, keeping friends, having friends. In 2017, the United Kingdom took a massive poll of its people and they discovered that 33% said that they were either often or always lonely. And then 50% of those over 65 identified the television or their pet as their main company. And as a result of this study, the United Kingdom carved out a new role within their government called the Minister of Loneliness. This is a real job, you can look it up. Their job is to help the people to find meaningful connections 
with other people. Now, we need a minister of loneliness in our country as well. Uh, the Brits are always ahead of us in a lot of ways. Uh, and because the truth is, the United States, the problem of loneliness is even bigger. In 1970, they took a poll of 10% of those surveyed identified as being often or always lonely. 10%. By 1980, it was up to 20%. 2010, it was up to 40%. And then a study done in 2021 identified that 46% of Americans identify as being often or always lonely. We can see that the pandemic didn't cause the loneliness that people are experiencing, but it did intensify it. Increasing evidence shows that loneliness not only wreaks havoc on our mental state of mind, but also our physical state. A study done in 2017 showed that there was a clear connection between those who suffer from chronic loneliness and those who suffer from chronic inflammation. And the study equated the physical effects of chronic loneliness to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness takes the same toll on your body. The truth is, all of us, at times, have experienced the feeling of being alone. But this is not how it's meant to be. Everybody who's watching online right now, listening, everybody do me a favor and touch your belly button, okay? The belly button should be the constant reminder that we came into this world connected to someone else. And if we want to thrive in this world, we must be connected to others. We need friendships. And that's why we're doing this sermon series, because each other is important. Friendship is important. Now, we all have different types of friends. When we were young, uh, our friends were established by proximity. Okay? It was about who lived on your street. When I grew up, I had James Hendricks next door. I had George Farrakis three houses down. Dwayne Hawkins was on the next street over. And we didn't do anything to really establish our friendship. It was just about geography, proximity. They lived down the street. But then, there comes a point later on in childhood where we begin to choose our friends. Now you had to pick which table to sit at. You had a group and you likely moved away from your people of proximity. The Bible teaches us to carefully choose your friends. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. The wisdom found in the scriptures and specifically in the Proverbs talks a lot about friendship. Friendship is a big deal. The people that you spend time with shape you. You become who you spend time with. The late Tim Keller wrote this, in the early stages of life, you are what your family made you. In the rest of your life, you are what your friends make you. It is your community that forms you and shapes you. And what that means is, is that every single one of us is being shaped right now by those closest to us. I read this week that some sociologists say that we are the medium of the five people closest to us. 
I think there might be some truth in that. There are a few things in life that have more power than friendship. And this power has two sides. It has the power to sustain you and it has the power to hurt you. Friendship can be the best part of your life and sometimes it can be the worst part of your life. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves writes, few value friendship because few experience it. We have to choose our friends carefully. Now this doesn't mean that you stop being friends with people who maybe aren't the best examples. And definitely don't say to them that I can't be friends with you because that's what they told me in church. No, do not abandon the people you have in your life. Be a good friend to them, love them, serve them, be a good example to them. Do not abandon them. However, there might be people in your life that bring you down and you might need to create some healthy boundaries, some safeguards for your own life that keep you headed in the direction of life that you are called to go. Some social scientists were invited by the US military to study various squadrons that were training together. It seemed that some of the squadrons improved greatly in terms of their physical fitness, while other squadrons did not. And the military officials didn't know why, because all of the variables appeared to be the same. Same food, same structure, same exercise, same everything. The military wanted to know why some squadrons experienced great gains in physical fitness and others they didn't. Researchers discovered that it revolved solely around the least fit person in the squadron. If the least fit person was motivated, everybody was motivated. And if they did the bare minimum, then the lack of gains carried to everyone else. For some of us, there has been a lack of gains, a lack of growth in our spiritual life, a lack of growth in our life in general. And to get the gains that we desire, we just might have to take a personal inventory about our lives, how we spend our time, and plan our schedules accordingly. The ancient philosopher Aristotle describes three kinds of friends. The first is entertainment or pleasure friends. Okay, This is the occasional lunch, the jokes at the office, have a few laughs. The second type of friendship was purpose friendships. You share a common purpose. They're mutually beneficial to you and also you're beneficial to the other person. And then finally, the highest form of friendship, virtue friendship. In virtue friendship, the relationship is the reward. Your love for them is based on their intrinsic worth. This is the kind of friendship that endures even when the friendship is no longer mutually beneficial. Another author that I read this week describes friendships by how we would invite people into different rooms of our house. For example, Jim, you've known Jim a couple years. Your kids go to youth group together. Last year, you guys were at a banquet together and you talked about mountain biking for 20 minutes. And when Jim comes by your house to pick up his son, you invite him into your living room. The two of you chat a bit, he goes home. Jim is a living room friend. 
Then there's Terry. Terry's in your small group. You've known him for years. Your family, you guys have meals together. You and your spouses go on double dates. When Terry comes over, you invite him into the den, even though there are dirty clothes still on the floor. Terry is a den friend. And lastly, there's Damon. Damon drops by the house a couple times a week, often unexpectedly. This time, you're still getting dressed. And when you're done, he's finishing a toaster waffle at the kitchen table. And as you join him for a cup of coffee, you share how God has been moving you to spend more time with your children. Damon then vents about his overwhelming situation at his work. Damon is a kitchen table friend. Living room, den, and kitchen table. And often, we are all of these at the same time with different people. Not everybody can be a kitchen table friend. We're not meant to be. But whatever category of friend that you are, we are called to be the kind of friend that we ourselves desire. Be the friend that you want in your life. Philippians 2.20, Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. A little context might be helpful. Paul here is in prison and he's writing to a church in Philippi. And rather than throwing a pity party for himself, he sends his best friend, Timothy, to bless them. Look at verse 20. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. That phrase, no one else like Timothy. Paul uses a Greek word found only here in the entire Bible. The word is esopsukos. It means equal in soul, kindred spirit, like-minded. The kind of friend that puts others above themselves. This is the kind of friendships that we are called to within the church and beyond. Aesop Sukos. How can you be this kind of friend? The kind of friend that shows the sacrificial heart of God. Now, no matter what kind of friend you are, you should be the kind of person that allows the other to be themselves. This is an undervalued part of what it means to be a good friend. That you are safe enough for them to be themselves. And for you to be yourself. Sarah and I will sometimes go out with friends or go to, over to someone's house. And before we leave the house, one of us will look at the other and say something like, like, is this okay? Like for where we're going and who we're going out with, is this appropriate attire? And then usually the other one of us would say, it's fine. It's just so-and-so. It's just so-and-so. It's actually, a compliment because we feel like we don't need to put on a front in front of them we can be ourselves now so what that means is that if Sarah and I are ever hanging out with you and we look pretty good you can actually tell just how uncomfortable we are with you good friends yeah you could just be yourself 
a British publication, once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend. Among the thousands of answers that were received were the following finalists. One who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. Okay, it was British, don't know what that word means. One who understands our silence. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. In the winning definition read, a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Over the past several months, we here at Prodigal have spent a lot of time studying the stories of David. And in my studies, I stumbled across another story of David that really speaks into friendship. Now, we certainly could have looked at David and Jonathan, the great friendship that they had with one another because they showed unbelievable loyalty and love to one another. But today we'll look at David and Abishai. The story here is found in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Once again, the Philistines were at war with Israel, a theme in David's life. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him, but Abishai, son of Zerurai, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? You remember the story of David and Goliath. David was just a teenage boy. He wandered down to that old creek bed, picked up five stones. How many people went with him? How many teammates did he have to go and fight Goliath? None. Some of us have had to face battles in our lives where it seemed like no one was beside us. God was with us, and that's great. But it sure would have been nice to have some friends, have some family, have some people around us to lock arms with and join the fight. But we had to go it alone. Many of us have been there. So picture this scene. David is now facing the Philistines, and he's probably thinking, haven't I seen you somewhere before? And these constant, ongoing battles against these mammoth people Combined with the struggles of David's own life, it's taking a toll on him. He's worn out. He's exhausted. And there is a serious danger in being tired and worn out and exhausted. When we are facing an enemy that we thought we had already beaten. And to be quite honest, we're done. We're weary. Have you ever been there? And can I just pause and say that the giants come back. You've slayed the giant before. You quit the drugs. You've healed from that past hurt in relationship. And with the help of God, you slayed the giant of lust. You have overcome your financial struggles. But then, maybe a few weeks down the road, maybe even years down the road, the old symptoms begin to show themselves once again. In fact, not only are the old symptoms back, but they're stronger than ever. Depression, discouragement, 
spiritual dryness, emotional fatigue. And at that point, it seems like all the progress that you have made in life is gone. And we're right back to where we started. This kind of cycle is nothing to be ashamed of because it's common. It's normal. You're not alone. And this is what happens next. The next time we see that enemy again, the next time we have to face this battle again, the next time we come face to face with the challenge that we thought we had already defeated in our life, the second time around, the third time around, the fourth time around, each time we've lost a little muster, lost a little bit more of the anticipation of power and faith and victory that can be grasped in our lives. And we start saying things like, not again, why bother? You know what, I'm, I've tried, I've tried, forget about it. I just can't win. The giants come back. And when they do, we need some help. We're not supposed to overcome on our own. In verse 17, is it David that kills the giant this time around? Let's look. But Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Way to go, Abishai. David wasn't alone. It looked like the same battle. It looked like the same enemy. But if he would have had to fight the battle alone, all weary and tired, it would have been the end of him. And if you try to navigate the battle of life all on your own, it will probably be the end of you too. We need community. We need community. We're a pack, you're not a lone wolf. You do not have to fight the battles of life alone. You're not meant to. You not only have God on your side, but you can have a church family, friends by your side, defending you in times of your weariness. If you'll only be open to sharing your life with others, life is not meant to be lived alone. But most often, you've got to take the first step. We all need an Abishai that when we are weak and vulnerable, they can help us slay the giants that attack. And did you notice that in the life of David, there is more than one giant that needs slain? The Bible describes some of these giants. Ishbi Benab, who is one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, 2 Samuel 21. Saf made the list, described as one of the sons of the giant, chapter 21. Then there was the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Another giant had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He was also born to the giant. Who would have known that the origin story of the six-fingered man from the Princess Bride would be all the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 21. Now, let's go back to the origin story of David. David and Goliath. Why did David grab five stones? He didn't grab, he just used one to kill Goliath. Why did he grab five? Could it be because Goliath had four relatives the size of a T-Rex? For all David knew, They'd come running over the hill to defend their kin. David was ready to empty the chamber if that's what it took. David didn't think one rock would do. 
Look at the end of verse 17. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? These men by David's side declared to him, never again. Never again are you going to be put in harm's way. Never again will we allow you to be that vulnerable, that tired, that worn down. Never again. We're going to protect you. We're going to have your back. We all need friends just like that. I heard a story this week, a marvelous story, about a man who was the YMCA director in San Antonio, Texas, some years ago. And this man had a wealthy brother who made a lot of money in the oil business in, the, in Texas. And so this man received a brand new car for Christmas from his brother. So he came to the YMCA office one day, and then there was one of the little kids rubbing and shining the fender. In a Texas accent, the boy said, Mr., is this your car? He said, yeah, it sure is. He says, boy, that's a pretty car. He says, yeah, it's, it's nice. My brother gave it to me for Christmas. Little fellow kind of was caught off guard and says, mm-hmm, I sure wish. And then the man waited for the words to come. He thought, he assumed the boy was going to say, I wish I had a brother like that who would give me a car for Christmas. But the little fellow did not say that. He said, mister, I wish I could be a brother like that. The man said, what did you say? He said, I wish I could be a brother like that. He was so taken by this. He said, would you like to go for a ride? I can give you a ride home. And he said, yes, sir. They hop in the car and he takes the boy back to his house, down this alley to a small beat up home. The boy said, mister, would you wait a minute? If you don't mind, I'll be right back. Just wait here a second. He disappeared into the house. A few minutes later, he'd come out holding his little brother on his back. His legs were in braces. He was a crippled child. And as he got back to the car, he said, Bud, you see that car? This man's brother gave it to him. Bud, one of these days, I'm going to be a brother like that. For you. One of these days, I promise you, I'm going to take you to a doctor that can make you walk. One of these days, I'm going to get you everything you could need in life because I'm going to be that kind of brother to you. And he looked up at his little brother and made a promise. It is my hope that our posture from today, week one of the lost art of friendship, I hope our posture is not, I don't know if I have any of those kinds of friends in my life. I hope our posture is, I'm going to be that kind of friend to others. Be the friend that you desire and just see what happens. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to be the kind of friends you call us to be. Aesop Sukos, friends of sacrificial love. That no matter what stage or friend level we're at with someone, that we can show the love of Jesus and that they can be themselves. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you are closer than a brother. We give you this day, this week, our very selves. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are listening online and you would consider yourself often or always lonely, Give us a call. Give me a call. 
My cell phone number is the office number on our church website. We pray God's peace and blessings on you and your family and friends. Peace in the Middle East. Thank <laughs> you.